Thanks to Raycon Wireless Earbuds for supporting the Apple Bits XL. Raycon Earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash applebits. All right, let's get to the show. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Brian Tong here, a.k.a. BTZ, a.k.a. Asian Usher, a.k.a. Walking Grass. Back in the day in elementary school, I was so short. I had a flat top that when I walked by the school window to get to class, all you could see was my hair. So then I was called Walking Grass. But you don't care about that. I don't. Obviously, I don't. That's why I told you about it. Uh, We are here to really cover, for those of you that are new, just all the ins and outs, the big headlines around Apple, good and bad. We also talk about tech outside of that, but I do have to apologize because last week I didn't have an episode. There were a lot of things going on in this world. I was in the middle of a move, and so I apologize. But to make up for it, this episode, this is going to be a beefy one. We have Mark Gurman from Bloomberg who talks about the latest breaking story about ARM Max going to be happening, but not only happening, announced at WWDC 20. We talk to him. We get all in depth about that. Then I'll have some more stories to talk about, plus your voicemail. So I'm taking care of you. This is the first time I've missed an actual weekly episode in two plus years. Not bad. I'll make it up for you because with WWDC coming in, we're going to have a lot of extra coverage there. So thank you for your patience. And also, thank you for your support. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you support the show. I'm completely independent. I know times are crazy, and uh, I appreciate all the support I'm getting. It starts at $2 per month. It supports the podcast, all the work I do. You get benefits at different levels. You get early access to the content, the podcast here, and a completely ad-free version of the show. So patreon.com slash Brian Tong starting at $2 per month, $5, which is a cup of coffee, 10, 25, the $100 platinum level. It's all there, patreon.com slash Brian Tong. And be a part of this show. All you got to do is just call in. How do you do it? Record a voice memo on your phone, your name, where you're from, what you want to talk about, the questions, the comments, the insights, the corrections. Send it along to applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z at gmail.com. All right, we're going to start things off first. Here's Mark Gurman from Bloomberg and I. We're talking about ARM-based chips coming to the Mac. All right, everybody. Mark Gurman from Bloomberg, friend of the show, in the house. The scoop du jour scoops all day. Uh, Mark, thanks for coming on again. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is uh, obviously exciting times. Lots of news out there. Big dev conference. You know, this is the you know heat of the moment for for you and I. Obviously, there's you know a lot going on in the world right now, and so sometimes it's it's hard to talk about you know Apple and technology uh, amid all this. But you know, for those interested, you know, here we are. Well, I think that's a great point because to just remind people, we we completely acknowledge everything that's going on: coronavirus, unemployment. Black Lives Matter, everything that is surrounding us in a truly unreal year that no one could have ever imagined or predicted. But at the same time, you know, we do love tech and we're not going to be insensitive to those things. But, you know, it is kind of like a, I would say, honestly, like a fun distraction to be able to talk about this stuff because this is the stuff that's always kind of distracted us. But now there's just bigger things happening in the world. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I've I've talked to so many people. I've heard so many stories about you know racial inequality, mm-hmm. uh, you know injustice going on, and it, it's been really eye opening, you know, to me to hear all those stories. And you know, obviously the police brutality situation with George Floyd and his murder, it, it's really been on the mind of everyone right now. And like you said, the coronavirus as well. So. You know, this is all very difficult, and it all—it feels very small to talk mm-hmm. about these types mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, there's still lots of people, you know, interested in it. That these are, you know, our jobs to, to talk about it, and so, you know, maybe we're not happy to talk about it right now. But the interest is still there, and the developer conference is still happening in, a, you know, eleven or twelve days or so. So, wow, here yeah. we are. Here we are. You know, I really appreciate the perspective, Mark. Um, 
a good man you are. So let's let's jump into to me the biggest story of the week. Your story. Um, you've been working on this for a while and kind of dropping nuggets, but this is kind of that full force. Like here it is, all on a platter. You reported and put it out there. Apple. Not only are they going to ARM chips from Mac processors, but we might see that announcement at WWDC. Can you kind of just get in that story for these listeners here that just haven't heard about this? Yeah, sure, Brian. So uh, I'll give you the timeline here. So in 2018, uh, about it was early 2018. So I think two and a half years ago, we wrote that Apple has decided that it is going to drop Intel and move to its own Mac processors starting in 2020. And at the time, we wrote that Apple had gained confidence after it created the A12X chip in the 2018 iPad Pro. They felt that was the first processor that was fast enough and good enough to potentially put in a Mac. And now here we are, two, three years of advancements later, and it's going to happen. So we wrote in April that they are gearing up to start selling Macs starting in 2021 next year. They're working on many new ARM Mac processors, the first of which would be based on the A14 processor that's coming to the iPhone later in the year and the iPad next year, not 2020 as some had said. And this would be a five nanometer chip, super fast. And for the Mac version, it would have its own graphics processor and its own neural engine and be really speedy and power efficient. And then now, a couple days ago, we wrote that Apple is going to plan out or it plans to announce this transition at the developer conference on June 22nd. And it's going to be very interesting, right? I mean, this move is a long time coming. They've been working on it for several years. And I think the big story here is that it shows how much Intel really dropped the ball, Mm. right? They basically had one job, and that was to retain its most famous client, Apple. And they weren't able to do that. Apple creating a chip division about 10, 12 years ago has gotten to the point where its chips are, you know, according to them or will be according to them better than Intel. So I think that's a really interesting, you know, uh, sideshow here. And this is basically the end of the Intel Apple relationship, given that Apple is going to be dropping their modems and iPhones starting later this year as well. And I mean, that that's a that's one of those moments, you know, it does happen to companies over time. We've seen how AMD has even been surpassing Intel performance on the GPU side, on the processor side. And now that you have AMD and Apple coming at them from two different directions. And Apple, like you said, kind of just eventually they will be cut off from their processors. That it's like seeing there it's seeing one of those giant monsters in tech that is I don't want to say aged out. They'll still be around in other ways, but not at that top tier anymore moving forward in the next they'll still be around, but what, in the next five years or so, Intel's gonna be a, a whole lot different company now. I would agree with that. I mean, to be fair to Intel, Apple only results in about 5 to 10% of their overall sales, mm. right? But sometimes consumer perception is a better indicator for a company's performance necessarily longer term than its sales at any you know single period. Because other computer makers will see this move and start to ask themselves, should we be making our own processors? Should we be switching to ARM-based processors for our devices? I mean, you saw Microsoft move. Uh, now, it's not a very good product, the, the Surface X, mm-hmm. but they moved to an ARM uh, processor base as well from Intel for that machine. And I'm sure you'll see more computer makers start to make those moves as well. But obviously, Intel has you know a long roadmap ahead in, in servers and other infrastructure and, and other you know just uh, cloud products and all that. So I think they'll be okay. They'll just be a different beast. The the other thing that you bring up is um, the Surface Pro X, and I thought it was interesting because that was their first ARM uh, processor tablet device. And the big thing that 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 issue with that device is the design on it was amazing. Uh, really one of the best designs I've seen a tablet, but the software support is what hurt them the most. A lot of software apps that people wanted to use normally, they just couldn't. It was like, eh, and the performance wasn't as tight. Now, Apple's a different beast where, you know, they've they've built this chip for years. They could control the software and the hardware. Is, is that another worry? Because when we saw Apple do the whole uh, PowerPC to Intel transition, it wasn't easy. I mean, I was a user then, and I... St- 
you know, put it off as long as possible and then finally did it because some of my apps just wouldn't work. And it's from what you know, is Apple worried about that or they're pretty confident, at least the core apps that their main users use, even something like Adobe and, you know, Microsoft and others that they'll be on board? Yeah, I mean, I think that's why they're making this announcement so early, right? Mm -hmm. Because they want to sort of avoid that app issue. Now, personally, I think that we're about nine months minimum away from them launching uh, any ARM Mac. I think it'll be March at the earliest, perhaps around WWC next year, maybe even later next year. So I think we're at that nine months minimum. That should be plenty of time for Microsoft and those other folks to, you know, get the ball rolling on ARM versions. Uh, from people I talk to, Adobe is the worry, right? Because Adobe seems to take, you know, their their good old time, you know, converting apps to new platforms and such. Um, you saw how long the development cycle took for the Photoshop iPad app. Yeah. So, you know, maybe Adobe is the worry, but I think it's going to start with some of the more consumer Macs. So I think they'll be okay. Obviously, this will be a multi-year thing, but this is something they've been, you know, foreshadowing for years. And I think major developers, if they haven't been ready, they haven't been paying much attention. But I think the, the good news is they have been. You know, the the other thing about this um, is there's so many reasons for Apple to really do this from a standpoint of right supply chain, they can control and really know exact timetables for their products that match up with their product timetable. So, you know, let's say the Intel chip that they were waiting on for a year and a half takes longer than they want, and then they have to kind of delay their product release. Cost-wise, it works in their favor. Were there, from your reporting and what you know, were there any of those things that might have been at the top of the list for this reason? Was it all about control as Apple's become a silicon company? Um, or, yeah. Or what, what were some of those reasons? <clears throat> so many reasons, Brian. I mean, one, like you just mentioned, the control, knowing the roadmap. But two, you know, Intel has really dropped the ball, right? I mean, you and I have been Mac users for well over 10 years. Yep. And I'm sure you and many of your listeners recall there was a time where you would get Mac updates, you know, every six to nine months. Mm-hmm. It was a very very fast pace uh, of upgrades with new processors and such that really slowed started to slow about five six years ago where the year-over-year performance improvements were significantly down to you know their prior states where we were getting mac updates so rapidly and what that meant was a lot of the mac upgrade upgrades were falling behind because what we used to see and this is even in the earlier days of apple you saw mac redesigns of particular computers maybe every three to four years Mm -hmm. but every six months or so you'd get that processor upgrade right yep processor upgrade slowed apple's design cycle didn't speed up and so what you saw was you know macs just getting very minor very minor updates if anything and so moving to ARM will fix that because Apple will have the full control of their speed increases under their own under their own watch. Yeah, it's it's a key thing there. I mean, everyone will be like, oh, we don't upgrade as much. And I get it for a phone because of the processing power you need there. But to your point, it was literally every six months for at least a good stretch of, I don't know, it felt like five to six years. And all of a sudden, it, it really, really slowed down. I mean, you look at even something like the iMac Pro, which is, a very specific computer, but I don't think it's been updated since like 2017, which is a really long time. If you're talking about a quote unquote pro device. Um, exactly. And you know, I'm interested to see what Apple does on the iMac side, the yeah. iMac pro side, how quickly they're able to get their own processors and something mm. like an iMac pro or a Mac pro. I think it'll take a little bit longer, but it'll happen at some point for sure. All right. Thanks to Raycon again for sponsoring this show. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now, we teamed up with Raycon and they're offering 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash applebits. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And I'm not going to lie, they have surprisingly good sound for their price point. Sounds even better than good. Now, their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet. You get six hours of playtime, easy Bluetooth pairing. You get some more bass in there. They've enhanced that and a more compact design with earbud tips that gives you this nice noise-isolating fit. Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet. There's no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during video calls. So get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash applebits 
That's buyraycon.com slash Applebits for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash Applebits. The other thing that um, I had seen you report over time is not only just this whole ARM transition, but Apple working on multiple Mac processors um, that are ARM-based. Can you talk about, expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so just different variations of the different processors, some with different cores, high-energy, low-energy cores, uh, different cores for better performance, better different cores for better battery life like they do in the iPhone, iPad, etc. And so these will be for different Macs or there'll be different options when it's time to start producing these computers. Um, obviously, the more powerful machines are going to need you know, different processors than maybe something like a MacBook or a MacBook Air or a MacBook Pro even. Um, so that's why they're working on different variations, but also thinking further into the future, right? They'll have the, the processor that's meant for this year, next year, the year after. And what you'll likely see is an annual upgrade cycle on the Mac chips, not unsimilar from the annual upgrade cycle you see on the iOS device processors. You know, also you talked about how the A12X was kind of that processor that in their mind said, oh, this is this is that processor that we can move forward with. And it was interesting that you pointed that processor out specifically because the iPad Pro used the A12X a couple years ago, still used the A12X for this year. And at the same time, I feel like they haven't even unleashed all the, the power that it has because there haven't been those Pro apps that complement it. And so, you know, it feels like these processors still have a lot of headroom and they're just absolutely crushing the competition as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And I think that takes you back to the software side of the iPad, right? The software Mm -hmm. is sort of still behind the hardware, despite the latest updates with trackpad support and all that. Uh, but on the Mac, the, the software capabilities are really limitless uh, to some extent. So I think you'll see a lot of that power be pushed further. Um, something so interesting to me about the Apple processors is the overall efficiency, right? Like I'll give you an example. The iPad Pro, I think, has six gigabytes of RAM. And my 16-inch MacBook Pro here has 16 gigabytes of RAM. <laughs> And the performance differences are amazing, whereas I could have 100 tabs open in my MacBook Pro and 100 tabs open in my iPad Pro. The iPad handles it no problem, right? The MacBook Pro, this device that costs 3x, the iPad Pro, supposedly better performance and all that, the thing gets ground to a halt once you have those many you know, tabs open. Uh, so for sure, the efficiency story is going to be really big on the Mac, and it's exciting to see you know future Macs that are going to need are going to not really need bands. You're going to see much better performance, much better battery life. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I mean the software and hardware matching together and just get really unlocking that power. I I'm excited for it, and like you said earlier, they are going to target this for consumers first. I mean it'll have the power, but they're going to have to probably wait a little longer, especially with professionals that already have their workflow in place. Pros, even someone like me, I'm not going to, I I mean, I'll try one, but I don't think I'm just going to jump on board to an ARM processor right away if everything is not in the place that I want it to be. So we talk about software. Obviously, WWDC 20 is going to be a whole lot of software. Is there anything that you're looking forward to for me. I can't wait to see hopefully maybe what they do, new bells and whistles with iPadOS and watchOS specifically. Those are my two kind of, that's what I'm locking in on at WWDC to be the most excited about. But is there anything for you that you're hoping to see at WWDC that you don't already know? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, the ARM stuff at WWDC is certainly going to be the highlight of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, nothing changes between now and then. Um, I don't think the iOS updates are going to be extremely significant. Um, But, you know, I saw this Android 11 beta yesterday, and obviously the upgrades there were not super significant either. Um, So I don't really think it's a huge competitive disadvantage. I don't think we're going to see a big push on widgets or a redesign or or anything like that. I think it's all going to be a little bit more muted. Uh, I think the watchOS updates might be the most significant uh, of the week. Uh, I think tvOS will get some minor updates. 
I don't think the iPad OS changes are going to be that significant either. I think the big story this year was the trackpad support mm-hmm. and the Magic Keyboard, but certainly there'll be you know a few new bells and whistles across the system. Uh, but overall, it's all about that Mac transition, and I think that's really going to excite developers, and I think it's going to be a really big deal for so many different entities. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is this is like you said, big big news. This is a fundamental shift in Apple, and it, you know, quite honestly, for us on the outside, it's fun to see that instead of just saying. Here's the same new products upgraded every year. Like, no, we're getting a brand new architecture coming up. So uh, I'm, I'm super stoked for that. Okay, you know, you also have a lot of other stories reporting around Apple. We'll stick kind of in the whole Mac sphere. And you reported recently about Apple's new trade-in program that will be happening in stores. That's right. So they are starting on June 15th in the U.S. and June 18th in Canada, a new trade-in program. So if you have a Mac, you'll be able to bring it into a store and get credit or a gift card uh, towards, you know, Apple Store purchases in the future or towards a Mac directly. Now, this already existed online, uh, but that is going to be a significant upgrade for the point of sale process. So maybe People thought you could already do that and you couldn't, just like you can with an iPhone, watch, an iPad, and other devices already. So I think it's going to give Apple a little bit of a boost there. Something interesting, uh, it appears in some countries in Europe, at least the UK, perhaps only the UK, uh, you can already do in-store trading programs for Mac laptops, but not iMacs and other desktops. But I don't believe the program even exists in like Australia or other countries. It's extremely limited. And obviously the US and Canada are two of Apple's biggest markets in terms of retail network. So it'll be a significant upgrade for those regions for sure. And, you know, I see how it's super convenient to offer that service in store, but I I would at least tell listeners if you can be patient and if you have a little bit of OCD in you and you have a little bit of time, like for me with my past computers, I literally keep every single piece of packaging. Like when I open it, I treat it like, okay, I want to repack this brand new because it is a lot of work, but I, I put my stuff on eBay. Um, when you buy Apple care, it kind of helps give that product even a little bit more boost in value because they know there's insurance on it. But I've found typically that, I mean, if some of the trade and value that the Apple store directly gets, and again, it's for convenience and not for people that are totally geeky like me and someone might just have the product and no box and just like the charger, they, they do offer that return. But I mean, I'm getting up to sometimes even more than twice the value back versus what Apple is offering. And so I would say sending in the boxes. No, 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 no. Meaning by selling the boxes, sorry, I maybe I didn't even make this clear by keeping the boxes and returning them and selling my products on eBay instead of, I didn't make that clear. (laughs) You're all, whoa, is there a return the box at Apple store? No, 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 I know, I know, I know. But so by doing all the work and selling it myself on eBay, um, you definitely get more out of it, but it's convenience versus, but it's a big difference, honestly. So, I mean, it's just just something that, yeah, it's just something to think about. I think even, you know, an iPhone that you trade in, you'll, you'll, iPhones, because there's so many out there, you might get maybe 50% more value to 75% more value. But if you're talking about computers and machines, um, they're really, and you keep it in great shape and you have AppleCare on it, just I would just point people to that direction if they want to kind of get their value back um and then you know obviously apply that to to the Apple store. So that that is a cool service though because people are lazy. So um I think it's good. <laughs> and it's good for Apple too. <laughs> it's good for Apple too. Um you also had a story about Apple, the new Apple card plan. Uh is it is, is it a no interest financing or or what was it again? I can't remember off the top of my head. So I really actually like this, Brian. So what this lets you do is you can buy Apple products now, sorry, not now, soon in the coming weeks with your Apple card, obviously US only product and split up the cost of the product over either six months or 12 months, depending on the product. Now, these are, it's not no interest right? It's interest-free payments. Now, I believe there is a difference. So in a world where it's no interest, what that would mean is you would be able to basically, you know, spend, let's say $1,000 around number on something and not have to start paying for it until, you know, after six months or 12 months, right? These are interest-free payments. So what that means is you split the cost up over those periods for those products 
and you just you split up the cost without paying additional interest on top of it. So slight difference there, important, but at the end of the day, what it lets you do is for a six-month interest-free payment plan, you would be able to buy AirPods, an Apple TV, or a HomePod and split that up across six equal payments. Mm. And what you'd be able to do for 12 months are iPads, iPad accessories, so the keyboard and the pencil, and Macs. So a little bit more time for those more pricey products. And if this would work through your Apple Wallet app, attach the monthly payments to your monthly Apple Card statements, very similar to the Apple Card iPhone payment installments that were added for 24 months interest-free payments in December. But obviously now what you're getting is an ability with the Apple Card to buy any Apple product in the U.S. and split up the cost over several months. This is going to be great for consumers who don't want to pay for the pricey Apple products all at once. And it's going to be great for Apple because it's going to spur sales. And it's also going to be great for, you know, even Golden Sachs because I imagine people are going to sign up for this credit card specifically for this feature. And this takes you back to sort of the whole bundle situation, right? Um, Apple using the Apple card as a way to bundle all their products, the monthly payments, generating new recurring revenue. This is a great thing for Apple's business model moving forward. And I hope that's not lost on people. Um, a couple things about this program. I don't recall if I've mentioned them before. One, this will work with the education discount. Mm. Two, a neat thing that you would be able to do is one, this will work with your, you know, you'll be able to throw an Apple Care on there as well. The second thing is, and this is a little scoop for you, Mr. Yeah, Tong, maybe. is you'll be able to make down payments. So it's not the entire purchase price. Let's say you buy a Mac Pro for $5,000. You can make a down payment towards it first for $2,500 and then split up 12 months of that remaining $2,500. So that's, you know, an interesting part of the, of the program uh, as well. That's a, that's a super, I mean, that makes that card so much verse, so much more versatile depending on people's financial situation. I quite honestly, I've just only, I don't know um, with your Apple card, I only, I really only use it on Apple services and any Apple products that I buy. Are you Mm. using, are you using it for everything you do or? No, just for uh, iCloud storage and app store purchases, iTunes, movie rentals, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't think it's a good credit card at all for (laughs) anything other than Apple purchases. In fact, you can get better cash back on rewards rates, I think, through Chase and some other credit cards for Apple products. But the convenience is there, so I use it. Um, their 1% cash back with the physical card is <laughs> it's horrible. It's below, it, it's below industry standard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 2% for Apple Pay is fine. It's fine. No complaints there. Um, but there's a sort of a credit card buff, right? Like yeah. you can get a, uh, chase freedom unlimited 1.5% cash back with the physical card. You have the city double cash card, which is 2% obviously cash back on everything with the physical card. Uh, American express has their Amex gold card, which has a ridiculous, you know, four X rewards rate on, on restaurants. So anyone listening to this that wants to sort of boost their credit card rewards, what I would do is I would sort of look at your spending, outline the categories that you spend the most money per month, and then find the best credit card for that spending. Obviously, you know, that's not something everyone is, you know, able to easily do depending on credit situation lots of banks put limits on how many credit cards you can apply for in a certain period of time but if that's something you're able to do i would encourage anyone to try to optimize that right i mean you have these credit card companies in the banks essentially giving away free stuff so mm-hmm. you know I'll, i'd be first in line to take advantage of that man uh i don't know if you're familiar with the website called i think it's like the points guy the is points guy yeah yeah I feel like I just got a lecture from a Mark German, the points guy, just right there. That's funny. And I mean, it's like right now, given the whole travel situation we're in, points yeah. are obviously not as valuable. True. Uh, I feel like cash is cash. So I think it's good to sort of, in terms of your credit card strategy, and sorry to bore you with credit cards. No, no, no. Actually, actually, I think actually this is actually kind of interesting, quite honestly. No, it's it's free money. So exactly. what I would want is a good mix of cash back and rewards points and sort of optimize for what you're looking for. If you're trying to plan a big trip, you might want to put more things on a points credit card. If you're looking for that cash back, I would move towards a uh, you know a cash back credit card. And there, there's plenty of decent options in the market right now. Uh, there's some interest-free 
credit cards or no interest credit cards for several months. You just have to make you know certain minimum payments. So I would take a look at that. There's credit cards that do you know cash. Uh, you can transfer your credits from credit your credit balances from credit card to credit card to optimize that way. So. Obviously, this is not financial advice for anyone. Just disclaimer <laughs> there. But uh, if you're interested in it, I, w- I would do the research and then make decisions. Mark, someone's going to be like, hey, Brian, I opened 10 new credit cards because of Mark. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll tell them to, to re-listen to my disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Amazon Amazon 5% back also. That That is definitely definitely in my pocket. All right. Um, All these stories that you know we've covered, these are all – Mark Gurman, Bloomberg uh, stories that he has put out that are completely his own and all his hard work. So, you know, you keep on crushing it. And I love the fact that your stories are, for example, like the arm chip story. That's something that's been built up over years. And so there's kind of a a different level of credibility. And that's why I love having you on the show when this is a story that hasn't just happened like, oh, overnight. This is years in the making. So I just want to say like, you're doing amazing work and it contributes to, you know, a lot of people of not only what they know, but kind of to keep all that buzz and fun stuff going. So I just want to say thanks, man. It's really, it's really good stuff. No, thanks for having me. Your podcast is tremendous. Obviously your personality is infectious and, uh, you know, people love talking to you and listening to your stuff. I remember you in the price fight in the oh, apple got, bite days we got some cooking for that baby don't even trip <laughs> that's hilarious i've got some stuff um, cooking good 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 but yeah I, I to your point i love doing this um i i love the community discussion and being able to talk about these things i love the people who you know are in this community together and i love the people who you know read up and contribute and you know send in their opinions via twitter email and i just love engaging in conversation with everyone so Happy um, to do this. Yes, sir. Okay, before we go, quick question. Are you going to miss WWDC because it's all virtual, or are you more excited about it? Where, where are you with that? I mean, it's going to be different no matter what, but I'm just curious. Well, the good news is that I get to be there, right? No, <laughs> no, no, no. I would probably be there regardless, so I'm just joking. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it'll be fine. You know, uh, it's great to be able to go there. What I usually would do is, so I'm in L.A. now. What I probably would have done is I probably would have went up to San Jose or San Francisco for a few days during the week, hang out with people, meet with people, you know, talk to developers and such. Uh, obviously won't have that opportunity this year, but I'm really hoping that it happens next year. I'm not extreme. I'm not super optimistic about it, uh, but I think there's a there's a better than 50% shot things are back to normal. When I say back to normal, I mean for for WWDC by by next June. Obviously, the world will still be reeling from everything going on, um, but you know we'll see what happens and hopefully see you there next year. Yes, sir. Oh, completely. Okay, um, Mark. Last question before we go. I know you and I sure. we, we like to talk about food and stuff. I like to kind of end this on on a high note. I know we're still locked in here for the most. We're not locked in, but you know we got shelter in place here in LA. Other states are a little more open. Um, but food is still very important to us. So do you have a restaurant slash food recommendation for someone coming to LA that you would like to point them to that really just tickles yo tummy? Oh, that's so funny. Um, whew, it's a good question. Uh, I don't have a great recommendation for you right now. Uh, if you're coming to LA and you want a sushi place that is sort of a, a fad here, you can really only get in LA or I guess in New York now too, uh, Sugarfish, right? I actually went there <laughs> last night. Uh, <laughs> very, very weird to, to be in an environment where the place is basically, you know, 80% empty, very limited amount of people. Um, everything is very spaced out. The, the staff there was wearing uh, masks in addition to gloves and face shields. So definitely a very, very interesting environment that we're living in right now. It's very, very, very scary and a dangerous environment in so many uh, ways, referring specifically to the coronavirus here. Um, But, yeah, I would encourage, you know, anyone to give a place a try. I don't know. Check Yelp. You know, I'm the the Apple guy and I guess the credit card guy. Sugar, sugar, fish, sugar, fish, sugar, fish is is a great recommendation. Love, yeah. love that place. All right, Mark. Um, well, you know what? Thanks again for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. And we will talk to you next time because there's always a next time with us. So uh, really appreciate it, bro. Thanks again. All right. Take care, man. Thank you.
All right, so there you go. ARM chips coming to the Mac. Are you excited now? It's what we're, I guess the time this recording, we're about a week and a half away from WWDC 20. It's going to be all online. They did officially announce that the keynote, the opening keynote will be happening on June 22nd at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Then there will be a Platforms State of the Union that same day, June 22nd at 2 p.m. Pacific time. These are all streamed videos that you'll be able to watch or streamed keynotes. Then from June 23rd to 26th, these are the 100 plus engineering sessions that you'll be able to get access to. And then there's obviously developer forums. There's even one-on-one developer labs by appointment if you are a developer. But ultimately the date that you all need to know June 22nd, that's a Monday, 10 a.m. is the big keynote. I'm excited to see it. But what I'm really excited to see is this whole new iMac that was just recently leaked. Now, Sonny Dixon, reputable leaker, put out on the interwebs that we can expect at WWDC a new iMac incoming with an iPad Pro design language. So think about what the iPad Pro looks like today with its bezels very minimal. We know that the iMac currently has that kind of big bar around it and about what the bezels around a inch, inch and a half thick. The new design inspiration will be pulled from the iPad Pro. So just maybe think of imagining throwing on an iPad Pro onto an iMac stand. That's kind of what you get, but slimmer bezels, they're always good. So you'll have the Pro display like bezels, which Sunny Dixon reiterates. A T2 chip that's going to offer uh, new security features and optimize the controller, as well as AMD Navi GPU. So it's a new graphics processing unit for it. And then no more Fusion Drive. A Fusion Drive, if you remember in the past, that was kind of their hybrid SSD and combination, uh, I guess, standard spinning hard drive that you were normally used to. And they would work in tandem to be optimized to get fast access while still giving you all the capacity that you want. That's not going to be around anymore with these new IMAX coin to Sunny Dixon. So it's really there to balance the speed and capacity. I'm excited about this. I have an IMAX, I think either the 2011 or 2012. It's the one that I use to produce the podcast. And then sometimes I need to move some files around and work on them over here. It's not the fastest machine, but it's still, if I wasn't doing video production, I would still be able to use it today. Now, other rumors about this iMac, there have been talks about Intel and using their new Comet Lake processors, which would be their 10th gen uh, 10-core processors, which is a step up from their current 8-core processors in the current iMacs. Uh, Those iMacs were updated a little bit over a year ago, but you're getting really an all-new processor, all-new design if this does come true. Sonny Dixon is typically on the money, so... I'm going to lean towards this being very, very likely. The other part is, if that's the iMac, I mean, what are they going to do with the iMac Pro? I think the iMac Pro was last updated in 2017 with that space gray, space black. I I accidentally called it space black in my video because it just looks so sick, but space gray. So will we see, if they're going to do this to the iMac line, they've got to do something, at least give us a crazy speed bump and a new redesign with the iMac Pro. So for those of you who have been continuously asking me about the iMac, this is a whole bunch of juicy information. Now, whenever they talk about, okay, new products coming out, sometimes we look at estimated shipping dates of current products to give us maybe some insight of what's happening. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. But if you look online at apple.com in the store, and if you look specifically at the 21 0.5 inch iMac. There, there are no delays there. It looks like it'll basically be shipping in about two business days. But if you go to the 27 inch iMac, the shipping times look like they'll hit past WWDC and into July. Again, it doesn't mean that they're getting rid of these, but with longer shipping times like that, and these are just the standard models, not build to order models, build to order models, you could think, you know postulate that the new IMAX will be dropping in that slot. Again, we don't know that for a fact, but that could happen. So this is a substantial Mac update. It's about time that the IMAX gets some love in. You know, if it really captures kind of that essence of the pro display, but there's a computer inside of it, that is a killer, killer product. And it also makes sense to line up the design of the products consistently where you have now 
the iPhone 12, based on what the rumors are saying it looks like, is pulling off from the design language of the iPad Pro, which is now influencing the iMac. It's a big chunk of their product line that's going to kind of have this synergy that, and it does, you know, looks do matter, especially with our tech devices. And I think it'll come off really, really nice. Another rumor that's out there, according to a report from Digitimes, although it's casting a little uncertainty over whether we will really see the new redesigned iMac at WWDC 20. Again, this is just 10 days away from now. Uh, I got to imagine, fine, at least announcement doesn't mean that they will be available on that date. But according to Digitimes, they're also saying that iMac and iPad models are going to be gearing up a new launch in the second half of this year. Now, this would complement the fact that maybe they announced it at WWDC and then the iMacs come out after that. But they say that Apple's new offerings for the second half of 2020 are likely to include a 10.8-inch iPad Air and a new 23-inch iMac device, plus prospects of a potential 8-inch iPad Mini and 12.9-inch iPad Pro with Mini LED. Those would be coming out in the first half of 2021. Look, there are no official lines on this, but this is what's being talked about. Another kind of leak from Twitter account Love to Dream, which has dropped not many nuggets, but when he or she does, they're pretty accurate. But Love to Dream is throwing out the idea that Apple could possibly be bringing iPad Pro's Magic Keyboard to additional iPad models. That's the suggestion. Now, again, we saw that with earlier iPads, Apple partnered directly with Logitech to give them all the capabilities and functionality of the Magic Keyboard, but not on the iPad Pros, on some of their other models that are non-pro. So Apple's more than willing to work with partners. To me, that would indicate that the Magic Keyboard that they have right now, they're they're gonna keep that to themselves and at least see what the demand is, how many of those units are moving from their website. You know, they're selling the Logitech keyboards that give the track functionality and all the keys to some of the earlier iPad Airs and things like that they'll know if it's worth going in for themselves. And then they will, look, Apple's ruthless. They will have no problem making their own and just taking over that market if it's viable. I think right now they're just testing the water. So we'll see what happens with that. In other news, if you like some of that color, it's spring. Spring has sprung. Spring has sprung. Powerbeats, totally wireless earphones. Those are those $249 kind of wrap over your ear. The Power Beats, I love them. They are my favorite workout earbuds, or I guess wireless earphones. Whatever you guys want to really call them, true wireless earbuds, true wireless earphones. They do retail for $249. The four new colors are spring yellow. It's kind of like that canary yellow color. Glacier blue, which is a pastel-y Easter blue. Cloud pink, a little soft cotton candy pink. And lava red, those are the four new colors that are out for the spring season. I reiterated this. If you watch my videos, someone was actually paid to come up with those those color names. Not even a somebody, like a team of people were paid to come up with those names. And they were paid handsomely. Are we are we in the wrong business? Should we be in the business of naming colors for earbuds? Maybe. I don't know. It it can it can be frustrating. Also, if you want to talk about more colors, Apple is making available new colors of Apple Watch sport bands. I I can't believe that I totally fell for it. I now own, I mean, I don't own too many, but I own roughly around like eight different Apple Watch sports, uh, not sports bands, just bands period that I thought I would never do. I've purchased some cheapy ones that are totally bootleg that look like Gucci Gucci on eBay. I'd be the first to admit that because Gucci doesn't even make them, at least from what I recall, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But anyways, Apple Watch sports bands coming in four new colors. Vitamin C, which is orange. Coastal gray, which is gray. <laughs> Seafoam, which is that kind of light colored, pastel green color. And then linen blue, which is kind of a light but dark blue color. Those are all available for the Apple Watch bands. And then they've taken three of those colors, vitamin C, linen blue, and seafoam, and brought them to all iPhone 11 silicone cases for the 11, 11 Pro, and 11 Pro Max. 
the watch bands are $49. The silicone cases are $39. Just thought you'd like to know that. Other stuff that you can order and buy, look, the writing is on the wall. The HomePod is going away, and this is what's hard for me to decide. Like I told you a long time ago, I got a HomePod really early on when for some reason people were returning them like crazy and Best Buy was selling them for $199. This is like before the holidays of this past year, six months ago or so. Well, Best Buy has again now made their HomePods brand new, available for $199. Now, I still stand by it. It is amazing sound. I love how that freaking thing sounds. I do nothing else with it. <laughs> but then if they've been selling these for $199 now for the past, I believe, month, month and a half, new ones are coming. What I don't think they'll, maybe they show up at WWDC. My, my guess is they don't, and they show up in kind of that fall time period where they talk about you know their music and services. Maybe they show at WWDC, but $199 is absolutely worth it to me. I just would now be hesitant because they've been on sale for so long at $199 that you probably will be better off if you really want to get one. Just wait it out. See what the new ones cost. See if they come up with a smaller mini one that I've been raving about. Like Just make a smaller one. And then uh, maybe these $199 ones even go down in price. We'll see. A fun little app that you guys and gals might want to check out. Adobe launches Photoshop camera app. This is on iPhone. It has 80 custom filters. and I guess you could kind of call it Instagram-worthy lenses. What's really cool about this is it has these kind of set themes and it uses their, I went to Adobe, what do they call their, uh, I can't even, I literally can't, not Adobe World, but I went to Adobe's conference last year. If you remember, I had the head of product for the iPad on, uh, for Photoshop on iPad here and we talked in depth, but I went to the conference and it was amazing because I use all these tools and they, they have this feature called Sensei, Sensei, which is their, AI platform that can break down and analyze photos in ridiculous ways that I never imagined when I first got into graphics and visual stuff uh, where you're just clicking a button now instead of tracing objects in, in three seconds. Anyways, this Photoshop camera app is really cool. When you take photos, the app can kind of make automatic improvements and tweaks and even stylizes things. Um, there's a group selfie feature where it recognizes where each subject is positioned to help kind of eliminate distortion. So I love photo apps. Again, there's like 80 custom filters here. Some of them are even, they partnered with artists. Uh, there's custom design lenses, one with influencers. Why do I, I don't even like, not, no, we're not gonna use the word influencers. Artists like Billie Eilish. I'm spending a lot of time with this. It's kind of competing with Snapchat, Facetune, and Instagram itself. But I think there's this space that's always welcome to experiment. So check it out, Photoshop camera, absolutely free. Fun little camera app for you all. And then a great thing that Apple's doing, you know, we had, a. if you listen to my content, uh, I did an interview with Marquez Brownlee, MKBHD recently. We talked about everything from being black in tech to the current environment, to tech, to everything. Well, Apple, I, I kind of called for Apple who had already donated $15 million to coronavirus efforts to put more money into other causes. And so, Almost on the dot the next day, and of course they have been planning this for a while, Apple CEO Tim Cook took to Twitter and he put out a video announcement about Apple's racial equity and justice initiative, and they are going to be committing $100 million behind this to pump back into the racial justice space, uh, broadening their scope and impact through programs that they've used and kind of follow a model that they did with their environmental efforts. So Apple donating and pushing out $100 million in funds for these causes. So just amazing. And I think some people will be like, oh, that's not, that's nothing. It's still $100 million. I don't, I think the company that I'd really be critical of is Amazon. <laughs> I think they donated, was it 10 million? They make $10 million in like seven minutes. And Bezos is about to be a trillionaire. That guy, that guy only cares about one thing and is green. And if I was wrong about that number, please correct me. But off the top, I believe it was $10 million. But please, I'm not trying to spread misinformation. I'm just saying Amazon has to do more. And the, in this current climate, with everything that is happening, Amazon is benefiting the most. And so is Mr. Bezos's pockets. All right, let's get to the phone calls. It's phone call time. Thank you, Apple Bits Nation, for participating in 
really being a part of the show. I love this because it just adds texture. And I love to be able to kind of connect to you listeners that contribute the show, support the show, and just keep this thing flowing and going. So let's get into the calls. Our first one is from my man, Applebits Nation. Want to represent Najum. Hey, what's up, Brian? This is Najum calling from Kansas City. I had a quick comment I wanted to make about touchscreens on laptops. Everybody is always wondering, when is Apple about to make a touchscreen MacBook? And then everybody in response says, hey, well, they have an iPad. That's their answer to a touchscreen laptop. It's not a laptop, but uh, close enough. Uh, Here's what I observed. So I've been using MacBooks for about six or seven years now. And recently I got a work laptop, which is a Microsoft Surface laptop. And one thing I noticed was the trackpad is so bad on this Microsoft Surface. And bear in mind, this is made by Microsoft, the company that owns Windows. This is about as premium as Windows on a laptop should or could be. I mean, it's amongst the best experiences for Windows on a laptop, that's for sure. And the trackpad is this bad? So it got me thinking, maybe the reason people want touchscreen laptops on Windows so much because the trackpad is so bad that they need a second form of input, a second form of easy input, and touchscreens are pretty easy to use and go around with, easy to pinch and zoom, but try pinching and zooming on a Windows trackpad, terrible experience. So maybe that's why touchscreen is so popular on Windows laptops, but it's not needed on MacBooks. MacBooks have amazing trackpad experience. In fact, the trackpad experience is probably even better than a mouse experience on a MacBook. That's just my two cents though. Just my comments. Let me know what you think. Thanks for everything you do. All right, Najum. Thanks so much for calling. Uh, I could tell you were getting getting riled up about that one. You're like, "Uh, I'm getting fired up. Okay, so I would say that Apple's trackpad experience is very, very good. Um, In the world of trackpads and experiencing trackpads, I would say the biggest problem with the Surface trackpad It actually is serviceable for me, but it's not big enough. It's actually really tiny. And then because of the way that their keyboard is made, it's a little flimsier. But, you know, on other other products, it it does just fine. I think to your point, look, knowing the PC world, they they didn't make, they didn't give it touchscreen functionality because their trackpads were so bad. They just, they did touchscreen functionality because they could. And they, you know, sometimes they put out stuff that may not have been as well thought of in the entire you know, I guess vision of what they want to do with the product. But I will still say, uh, if you want to do work and play, the Surface Pro is still the most versatile two-in-one. It's still my favorite pick. But if you just want a tablet, well, then you got to go with the iPad because the tablet OS is superior and the apps are superior. The Magic Keyboard adds another dimension, but you still can't run full-on apps on an iPad, that's really its only biggest bugaboo. Um, other than that, it's on point. So for me, I've always talked about why not put a touchscreen in a MacBook Pro? And I don't need a complex one. Just give me basic touch, scrolling, pinch, and zoom. They don't need to do anything else. If they did, I guarantee you, a lot of people will be happy. I guarantee you, mm, let's say how over, I'm gonna say like, this is let's just throw out random numbers. Let's throw out fake news. But I believe 70 to 80% of people who own a tablet and own a laptop in their household have touched their laptop screens thinking it was a touch screen when it wasn't. All right, if you are if you agree with me, I want to hear from you. I think that number is pretty accurate. It might even be 100% honestly, but at one point in time or another, you even you even reached for your your iMac screen or accidentally just touched a big screen because your brain just worked that way. If you own something like a tablet, whether it's an iPad or a Surface Pro, you've done it. Your your brain sometimes just goes there. I don't know. I think so. So ultimately, the touchscreen issue or the touchscreen being on a PC, I don't think it was because of the mouse track being bad. They just did it to add functionality, but. You know, it could it could be a little more polished. I think it's great, so I'm I'm not going to be too too picky about it. Okay, here we go. Next call we got from our man Bo. Hey Brian, this is Bo. 
uh, just listened to one of your podcasts where you were talking about how the bands of Apple Watches have really, you know, kind of grown. And uh, I think that was essential to their Apple Watches to be able to customize since it is something you have on you all the time. Um, and that got me to thinking, the Apple glasses, what's the chances that you'll be able to change out the, I guess you would call them the ear rest? Maybe you have big ones, colored ones, small ones. I don't know. Uh, that just hit me. That would be very Apple and uh, very cool to actually add customization to your glasses, especially if you're going to, I say, well, I guess $500 for glasses wouldn't really be that crazy compared to a lot of other brands out there. So, anyways, I'm pumped about the glasses. I have to wear glasses all the time, so it would be perfect for me if uh, if they can make a style that I like. But thank you, man. You're doing great. Keep up the good work. Bo, Bo, my man, you got me thinking. I heard that and I started getting excited. Ooh, you know, um, for those of you that semi pay attention, I don't actually expect you to pay attention. I do like clothes and style and fun even though my hair st- i still haven't had a haircut in three months because of quarantine because i can't see my person and it's literally looking like a bird's nest but whatever um but i love this idea of changing out the apple glasses the arms i guess i don't even i don't wear glasses i don't even know what you call them <laughs> the ear arms the ear frames <laughs> how embarrassing someone's got to correct me on that you, there's so many possibilities. I would, damn, I would even wear glasses as a fashion statement if I could change the arms to match certain fits. Ooh, I'm sorry, you got you got the you got the style over him. You just getting a little cray cray right now. So, a uh, bow, I think it's genius. I hope they're thinking that way. They'll probably keep it very simple initially and really focus on the ideal kind of male look and female look. And once they nail get that down, then I think we'll start seeing that customization. It, you know, Apple came out with a, a good amount of watch bands from the start, but wearing something on your wrist, wrist versus wearing something on your face is a whole nother ball game. All right, got my man Mike Kai. Let's see what's up. Yo, Brian, big fan of the podcast. Keep up the good work, man. Hey, just curious. Um, I've switched from Android to apple from apple to android and back and forth and now i have a iphone xs max and one thing i just can't figure out because i love i've had like every note phone and one thing i just can't figure out is how come samsung doesn't support their devices for five years plus just to compete with apple it blows me away they don't do that um i'd love your thoughts on this because it just I mean, the landscape is super competitive. I don't know why this isn't happening, just to stay competitive. Anyway, let me know. Keep up the good work, bro. Peace. All right. You know, I think there's a few factors. I don't, honestly, I don't know, know for sure if this is why. But you also have to think about the actual upgrading process from how Apple does it versus how Android phones do it. So first of all, Apple has this ability where they can directly deliver the any iOS update directly to the customer without any resistance. Um, it goes to their phones. People can choose to update or not, whether it's a, a quality up quality update or not, that depends. My voice even cracked on that because I'm so embarrassed about how uh, buggy iOS has been over the years, specifically the past two or three years. It's It's been pretty bad in general, but some of the most recent updates have been all right from my experience. Now, so Apple has this direct update. You, you get people crazy numbers i think when typically apple releases a new ios update somewhere around over 50 to somewhere around 60 percent of their user base actually upgrades it's really high i I believe it's around 50 ish could be a little lower could be a little higher i'll have to look at the number but I, i remember it was very very high whereas with android you have a lot of other barriers and this is part of the nature of the beast so samsung puts right? Their version of their OS or their skin on top of Android. Now, the way that the Android process is, is they have to get, whenever there's a new release, they have to get it approved by carriers. The carriers have to flip the switch. And then once that is approved, then it goes out to customers. So you have, let's say Google, the reason why Google phones, whether the Pixel and whatnot, 
they are the easiest to upgrade because at least Google can, for the most part, directly deliver those updates to you. Still has to go through carrier approval, okay? Now, imagine you're on a Huawei phone or a Samsung phone. It has to first go through the process of getting, making sure that it works with what they have on top of Android. Then it has to get vetted in that way through the carriers. Then the carriers have to deliver. And they don't always, here's the thing, the carriers don't send it out right when it's ready, even after it gets approved. So I think whenever Android has actually, and obviously we know there's a wide spectrum of Android phones from very, very budget entry level to middle tier to high tier. Then when you look at that, if I recall, every time there's been like a new Android OS, I kid you not, the the adoption rate within the first few weeks or even a month is is literally, if I recall right, I've been doing this for years, it's somewhere around less than a percent. It's not even 10%. It's, and again, we have to remember the wide numbers and why they're different. So I think the system of delivery is what is frustrating for users. It's not like Samsung can just be like, here's the update. No, they have to go through a lot of loops. And sometimes those loops take time. And that's why, and people are now conditioned to be like, oh, I'm going to get the upgrade in six months after Google announces that the latest version of um, Android is out. It's it's stuff like that that can be frustrating. So um, it's the nature of the beast. If Samsung made their own phone and Samsung made their own OS, they had really tried with Tizen on some of their mobile devices. If they were, and if it was successful, you bet that Samsung would do that. But you know, they're they're deep partners with Android, and that's who they're rolling with. So I guess that was a really long answer, but that's some of the uh, things behind the scenes that are happening that 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 cause those issues of why, you know, they just don't update them as easily. All right. I think I answered that. If I didn't, call back. All right. Next up, Shane. Hey, Brian. It's Shane from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. want to throw a quick story at you about a couple of MacBook Air 2020 editions. Neither has a valid or working FaceTime HD camera. Did troubleshooting with Apple. Um, neither are displaying or recording in HD. Doesn't matter what app we use, uh, whether it's Zoom, Photo Booth, FaceTime, doesn't matter. None of them are displaying in HD. These two MacBook Airs replaced MacBook Pros from 2010 and 2011. Yeah, you heard that right. That's how old they were. And uh, both those older MacBook Pros seem to display much better resolution when using the integrated cameras. Um, Anyways, yeah, did a bunch of troubleshooting with Apple. They reformatted one of the units that was only a weekend old, then had a senior tech call me back, uh, said I had to go to apple.com forward slash feedback to leave a comment because they couldn't find a problem. Um, So I found that weird. Anyways, um, those are unfortunately probably going to come across as a bad Apple, but... um, which is too bad. We could use some good news in this day and age. So here's something that's kind of good. Your show is awesome. It's so awesome. It's a, it's a ray of sunshine, man. Keep up the good work. Um, thanks for doing what you do. Uh, keep on trucking or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, idiom applies to you because it's awesome. Thanks, man. Have a good one. All right. So that was a bad apple turned good apple, I think. Anyways, I also felt like sometimes you got to let people vent and it can be cathartic to <laughs> just let it out. Trust me. I I've, I think I've told you my 16-inch MacBook Pro screen shattered on its own. I kid you not, it didn't drop. It just had a crack in the corner and now it doesn't, the screen doesn't work and I'm going to have to find the perfect time to get it serviced because it's kind of my workhorse. Not Not that easy to go without it. All right, next up, final call of the show. Hey, Brian, this is Will over in Austin, Texas. I'm a first-time caller. been following you since your days over at CNET. Um, Real happy for your success with your own venture now. I just had a real quick question about the iPhone 12 or iOS 14, rather. Um, Trying to get your opinion on three topics real quick. Siri, caller ID, taking up the full screen. What's your opinion on it? Maybe taking up a smaller portion of the screen, uh, picture in picture and split screen multitasking. Um, not hearing anything about that coming up in iOS 14. Love to get your feedback on that. Thanks. Big Willie style. Thank you so much for calling in. Appreciate the listening and support. Uh, the number one rule of this show is that 
that is a place that shall not be named and it cannot be said by name moving forward. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I just like to goof around and say that. But people like say, oh, from that place that shall not be named. I like how everyone jumped on that. It's fun. All right, so first up, the Siri caller ID. I actually never set it to full screen. I only use it when I'm listening to or when I have AirPods in my ear. So unfortunately, I on, I although I know you can set it to take over your screen, I didn't want to. So I've never experienced that, but it sounds annoying that it would. So I would say, you know, if it, does it if it really matters to you? You know, maybe they'll do a tweak, but I'm gonna assume because they kind of want you to see that the person is actually calling, that the screen takeover is the nature of the beast. But I think you're right. Maybe half screen it, do a little bubble like a notifications bubble instead, might be a little better than that. And then the other thing about split screen um, on multitasking on an iPhone, they've had God knows how many years to do this. So we're at iOS. 13 iOS 14 coming out. Um, even with the larger screens that have been rumored to be coming out for the new iPhone 12, I don't think we'll get. I don't think we'll st- still get split screen. I think Apple likes to kiss, and when I say that, it's keep it simple, stupid. Because you know they don't want to freak out their user base, and I know that we are smarter than that. We are more than capable beings of that. Specifically, the people that listen to this show that are typically more tech savvy just in general you know i never talk down to the audience um i'll leave that to somewhere else (laughs) but yeah i don't think i just don't think it's gonna happen in all these years they could have given it to us they still haven't so it would be nice but i'm gonna say probably not gonna happen all right everybody thank you so much for sticking with this kind of a, I guess you'd call it the super duper bonus episode. This I really just wanted to make up for not having a show last week. So I hopefully did with a lot of content here. And, and quite honestly, it's a little more quieter type of the year, but we're 10 days out from WWDC. We'll get more stories right before then. And then I cannot wait to completely dissect and break down everything that happens at the keynote. Um, it's going to be really fun. Always, always exciting to see, you know, what what iPadOS is going to do, what watchOS is going to do. And we won't even see the new hardware for watchOS yet. Typically, we don't. But it's going to inform us of more things that they're doing that you'll be able to do with the watch that you already have. How sick is that? I love it. All right. Big thanks to our Patreon supporters. This show is completely supported by you independently. I'm so thankful and grateful. Our Platinum Apples always get a shout out at the $100 level. Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frater, Jarrett Lewis, and Eric Cohen. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you for all of you who contribute at every level. Look, some of you have not received mailers. I did just move. My goal is to get those mailers out literally this week. Crossing my fingers. I know you've been patient. I'm going to do the damn thing. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong. That is the place to support the show starting at $2 a month, $5, $10, $25, $100. I'm so grateful. And if you have not already, please just freaking review the show on iTunes. Give it that five-star love if you think it's worthy of that five-star love. Throw in a comment. It helps with the algorithm, pushes it up. I think we have over 1,100 five-star reviews. It's kind of crazy. So thanks for that. Nothing but love to all you. And uh, thanks for continuing to support this. So that's going to do it for this week. It's going to get spicy real soon. I can't wait. I love it when it's spicy. It's hot. It's actually really hot here in LA. So thanks again, everybody. Take care. Be safe. Hold your loved ones tight. And we're going to keep on getting through these crazy times together. This tech stuff, it's a distraction sometimes. It's a needed distraction, but we love all of it. And uh, I'm grateful for all of you. So take care, everybody. Be safe. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.